How many of you remember hearing these words from a teacher when you were in school? Take out a sheet of paper and number from one to 10. Now, if you heard those words, what was coming? Yes, a pop quiz. Now, this morning, church, take out a piece of paper. Number from one to three, short pop quiz, because I have some questions that I want to ask you. So you could use your Bible study outline. If you've got a pen, great. If not, borrow one. Because here is the first question. Are you ready? Nod your head if you're ready. Here's the first question. On the TV show American Idol, who was chosen as the winner for 2015? Okay, I see a lot of blank stares right now and not too much writing. If you don't know right off the top of your head, you probably don't know. So we'll go on to question number two. Number two, who won the Academy Award for Best Actress in 2009? Okay, I'll give you a clue. All right, here's your clue. It was for the movie The Blind Side. For some of you, that'll help. All right. Here we go. Question number three. Who won the Heisman Trophy in 1992? Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Heisman Trophy, it is given to the best college football player in the nation. Who won that trophy in 1992? All right. Do you want to know the answers? All right, here they are. Here's the first question. Who won American Idol in 2015? His name is Nick Fradiani, a singer-songwriter from Connecticut. How many of you got that one right? Okay. All right, tough pop quiz this morning. All right, number two, who won the Academy Award in 2009 for Best Actress? Survey says, yes, some of you knew it was Sandra Bullock. And here's the, the last question. Who won the Heisman Trophy in 1992? His name is Gino Toretta. Now, what position did he play? Who knows? Just yell it out. Quarterback, and what college did he attend? University of Miami. Okay, it sounds like we have some Miami fans in this section over here. Okay. Now, some of you know that Pastor Phil is a big Miami fan. And so, because, because the Seminoles beat the Hurricanes this year, I wanted to encourage Pastor Phil, so I decided to choose a Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Miami, but... I had to go back over 20 years to find one. <laughs> now, here's what I want you to see this morning. These people that we just talked about were the best in their respective fields. But it's amazing how quickly we forget them, isn't it? I mean, the applause dies down. These accomplishments that seem so significant at the moment fade from memory and are soon forgotten. Now, here's another quiz, another pop quiz. Number from one to three. I have another brief quiz for you. Are you ready? Here's the first question. Write down the name of a person who encouraged you this week. You can just put their initials or their first name. Write down the name of a person who encouraged you this week. Here's the second question. Name a friend who you could trust with a really big secret. And maybe you have a secret, maybe you don't, but who could you trust with a really big secret in your life? Just write down their name or their initials. And here's the third question. Name a teacher or coach who made a lasting impression on you. A teacher or a coach who made a lasting impression. Now, for those of you who are actually doing the pop quiz, I see a lot more writing this time. Was that easier, that second set of questions? I believe it always is because who are the people that really matter to us? They're the ones that, that don't have fleeting fame, but the ones of compassion and concern and character who really make their lives count. 
I've always wanted to make my life count for something. I've always had this desire to do something really significant and important with my life. And I believe that's something that each one of you want to do as well. And that's because deep inside us, God has placed this desire to, to do something that matters, to make a difference in this world. But as the late Irma Bombeck once said, don't confuse fame with success. Madonna is one, Helen Keller is the other. Now one of the things that I see more and more clearly as I grow older is simply this, that life is short and that life is precious. Isn't that true? And because life is short and because life is precious, we need to make our lives count, really count. So how do we do that? Well, I want to address that question as we conclude our series in 1 Peter. This is in the New Testament. And again, Peter is one of Jesus' original disciples. And as we began this series, we said, there are essentially three ways you can choose to live. You can live your way. You can live the way that other people tell you to live. Or you can live whose way? Yeah, you can live God's way. And Peter is saying, look, if you want to live God's way, if you want the best life possible, you need an example to follow. And that example is found in the life of Jesus Christ, somebody who really made his life count. I was thinking this week about a remarkable statement that Jesus makes before he goes to the cross. And he says this, Father, I thank you that I've completed all the work you've given me to do. Now, how would you like to get to the end of your life and say, God, you know, I'm thankful. I completed all the work you gave me to do. I made a difference in this world. I made my life count. You see, if we want to make our life count in that way, we need to learn how Jesus lived and follow his example. The way he spent his time, the way he managed his relationships, the way that he pursued God's purpose for his life. And so this morning, I want us to consider these verses written by Peter a man who learned from Jesus how to make his life count. So, if you want to make your life count, here's where it all begins, and this is on your outline. Start serving. Start serving, and I might add, God's way. Start serving God's way. Now, in these first few verses, we're going to look at chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. In these verses, Peter is writing to elders. These are people that are in leadership roles in the local church, but these principles really apply to all of us. And this is what he says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers or elders, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. Now, Peter is really clear and to the point, if you want to make your life count, serve other people. The best way to influence others and to make a difference in this world is to serve others unselfishly. Because that's how Jesus lived. Now I want to do this, I want to draw some really important principles from these Bible verses about how to make your life count. And here's the first one, and again this is on your outline. Choose desire over duty. Choose desire over duty. Notice what this verse says about serving. Peter says, not because you must, but because you're willing. Let me ask you this. Do you ever find yourself using these three words to describe your life? I have to. I have to get up and go to work on Monday morning. I have to run the kids all over creation. I have to mow the lawn. I have to wash the dishes. I have to do the laundry. I have to take down those hurricane shutters. I have to go to church. I have to preach another sermon. Do you ever use those words to describe your life? Because sometimes... 
sometimes. We feel trapped by all the have-tos in our life where it seems like there's just one obligation after another. Maybe this morning you're a single parent and there are so many things that you feel like you have to do. You have so many things to, to do to take care of your kids that there's precious little time for you. Or, or maybe it's the pressure of keeping your business afloat or hitting your sales numbers. Maybe it's the, the pressure of caring for an aging parent. You know, maybe it's that responsibility that you feel to hold your marriage together and you've really lost the joy of spending time with your spouse because it's just one more thing you have to do. Maybe today you feel trapped by all these responsibilities and it would seem that the only way out is a change in your circumstances. Well, let me offer another solution, a change of heart. Because according to God's word, it is possible to see these things that we feel like we have to do, not just as obligations, but as opportunities. And the truth is, when you're willing to do something, when you do something because you want to, rather than because you have to, it changes everything. Energy comes from doing things we want to do. Exhaustion comes from doing things we have to do. So how do you change your heart? How do you change those have-tos to want-tos? And, and church, here's where it begins. You talk to God about it. And you're honest with him and you say, God, you know, I want to change, I need to change, but I can't do it without you. I need your help, God. I need you to, to take these things that I have to do and give me the desire to do them, to serve you and to serve others. And church, there's a beautiful verse in the book of Philippians, and it describes the, the way that God works in the heart of a believer. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And Paul in that verse says this, that God is working in you, giving you, notice this, the desire and the ability to live a life that honors God. God is able to turn those have-tos to want-tos through the power of his spirit. But we've got to ask him to do that. We've got to trust him to do that. We've got to step out in faith and serve with that kind of heart and that kind of attitude. And where does that begin? At home. If you're married today, it begins with your spouse. If you're a parent, it begins with your spouse and your children. It begins with your neighbors and your coworkers and with your church family. My wife, Chris, was just talking about the Brave Cave event on Friday night. It was a delight to be here. And even throughout the week, people were just buzzing all around, getting ready, building their caves, and they were excited. And what I saw in their faces was this. This isn't something they have to do. It's something they want to do. I had people over and over on Friday night come up to me, and this was true of Chris, saying, thank you for the opportunity to serve. Because this means so much to us. And, and they saw this. They saw the, the looks on these kids' faces, and it was priceless because they were learning to trust Jesus Christ. We were working together to make our lives count by serving God and serving others. And when it comes to serving, you might want to take a look inside your program this morning. You'll notice something called a ministry menu. And these are different ways that you can serve in our church family. This is something we give to people as they come through our membership class. And some of those are highlighted because that's where we really need some help. And here's the deal. If, if you're not serving, man, I encourage you to serve. Look at that list. If there's something that you're interested in, you can contact the church office. You can go on our website and get more information. But the first thing we need to do to make our lives count is to start what? You can look at your notes. Start serving. Now, when it comes to serving, here's another important choice that we need to make. Choose giving over getting. Choose giving over getting. 
Peter points out that a servant is not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. There was a story about these two guys, and they're shipwrecked on this deserted island, and one of the guys is just, he's worried to death, and he's pacing back and forth, and he says, this is hopeless. We're going to die on this God-forsaken island. And he looks over, and the other guy is just sitting under a palm tree, completely relaxed. And he goes over and says, how can, how can you be so calm? And the guy says, well, here, here's, here's the reason. Um, I'm, a, I'm a very successful businessman. I make about $10,000 a week. I tithe to my church, and I know that my pastor will find me. Let me ask you this. What is the title of this series of messages? Living, okay, say it together. Living whose way? God's way. Now, church, listen carefully. Living God's way means giving God's way. Makes sense, doesn't it? And you've heard me say this before. I'm, I'm convinced the Bible teaches this idea of tithing, giving 10% of your income to God. We find that clearly in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 23. So that's clearly a part of God's plan for our financial life. And, and I want you to know this, and I've said this before, when it comes to giving, the most important thing for me is not what I want from you, it's what I want for you. And so as your pastor, I need to tell you this. I will continue to talk about tithing. I will continue to challenge you for three good reasons. I love you. I want what's best for you. And if you're ever shipwrecked on an island, I will come for you. Whether you tithe or not. But seriously, church, what would happen? Dream with me here. What would happen if a majority of the people in our church family actually took God at his word and tithe? What kind of impact could we make? What kind of resources would be released for kingdom work in our church, community, and world? And here's, here's something else to consider. If you're somebody who's, you know, heard about tithing for years, and you've never done it, because I get that. My wife and I sat in church, and we heard about tithing for years, and there was a Sunday when, when God just said, hey, I'm talking to you. <laughs> and we went home, and we said, you know what? We really need to take this step of faith. And we did. We stepped over on this side. And I'll tell you what. It was such a good decision. And I will tell you this. If you will take God at his word, if you will say, you know what, God? I hear you this morning. You're talking to me. I will, I will tell you this from personal experience. God will honor that decision. He always does. And there are people in this church, I see people nodding their heads because they tithe and they know that God always honors that commitment. But here's another thing that you'll experience. Joy. A lot of joy because you know that your generosity is accomplishing something that will outlive you and outlast you. And there's nothing better that we can do than invest in the work that God is doing. There's a, a passage of scripture, Psalm 112, verse 9, and it talks about the person who makes a difference by giving and it says this, he gives generously to those in need. His deeds will never be forgotten. He shall have influence and honor. So quick review. Two choices we can make when it comes to serving others. What's the first? Choose desire over duty. The second is choose giving over getting. And here's the third choice. Choose being an example over being in control. Choose being an example over being in control. This is how Peter says church leaders should serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being what? An example. 
to the flock, to the church. One time, President Calvin Coolidge invited people from his hometown to come to the White House and have dinner with him, and they were a bit nervous being there in the White House. They wanted to make sure that they had the right etiquette and the right table manners, and so they decided as they sat around the table, they would just do whatever the president did. And it was working pretty well until it came time for coffee. Because this is what happened. President Coolidge took a saucer and poured coffee into it. So everybody decided, well, I guess we should do that. So they took their saucer, they poured coffee into it, and then he put some cream in the coffee, then he put some sugar in the coffee. They did exactly the same thing. And then he took the saucer and put it on the ground, and this little cat runs out from under the table. Whether we realize it or not, we are influencing people by the example of our lives. And isn't that what Jesus did? He influenced people by the example of his life. You know, Jesus didn't just say, hey, love your neighbor. He showed us how to love our neighbors. And the point I want you to see is this. The power to make your life count depends not only on your words, but on your example. Not just on what you say, but on what you do. Now, let me show you the picture of a couple who has influenced me and, and thousands of others by the example of their life. I spoke about him last week. His name is Donny St. Germain. He's a pastor in Haiti, serves along with his wife, Sharon, and he leads an organization called ESMI, one of our global ministry partners. It stands for El Shaddai Ministries International. El Shaddai is the name of God found in the Bible. And the work they do in Haiti is absolutely incredible. Remember the first time I went to Haiti, I met uh, Pastor Donny in the airport in Miami, and he was telling me about what they do. And then we actually got to Haiti. We landed in Port-au-Prince. We started this, this tour. And his brother, Louis, joined us. And they were showing us the churches that had been planted and the schools and the orphanages and the clinics. And as they talked, you could just feel the excitement because they believed that God could transform the entire nation of Haiti through the power of the gospel. And, and I remember when, when Pastor Donnie was, uh, was here in the States, he was leading the church in Miami and decided that he was going to move his family to Haiti so they could serve more effectively. And I told you last week that I had gotten some emails um, following Hurricane Matthew, and I continue to get those throughout the week. I wanted to share one with you this morning. This is what Pastor Donnie wrote. He said, Our ministry in Haiti planted 124 churches and 43 schools. Is that remarkable, church? 124 churches, 43 schools. He says, unfortunately, Hurricane Matthew destroyed 17 churches, 17 schools, and 30 of our orphan homes and one clinic. He says, the eye of the storm went directly over my home. I have never seen a storm with so much power. And then he wrote this, I praise God that I am alive today to continue to do his work. Pastor Doni and his wife have influenced and continue to influence thousands of people in the nation of Haiti and even around the world because they serve unselfishly. And my question for each one of us is this, who are you influencing by the example of your life? Who are you influencing by the example of your life? And we know this, that it, it starts at home. If you're a husband, what kind of influence are you having in the life of your wife this morning? Wives, what kind of influence are you having on your husbands? If you're a parent, what kind of influence are you having in the lives of your kids? If you're a grandmother or a grandfather, how are you influencing your grandchildren? And, and I will tell you this as a, 
as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, we are influencing people all the time. If you're a parent, you know this. When are kids watching you? All the time. When are they listening to what you say? Some of us have discovered this <laughs> all the time. We didn't know they were listening, but they really were. They repeat sometimes word for word the things that we said. And they see, they see what's important to us. They see what our true values are. They see who we love and what we love. They see how we spend our time and what we do with our, our money. And the question is, what are they seeing? What kind of commitment to Christ are they seeing in us? What kind of commitment to living God's way? So the first way to make your life count is to start serving. And here's the second way, to stay humble, to stay humble. Peter goes on and he says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, he gives us a really good reason, God opposes the proud but gives what to the humble? He gives us grace. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Not in your time but in his due time. Somebody said this one time about humility. They said, whenever you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it did not get there by itself. Somebody had to pick that turtle up and put it on top of the fence post. And that's what this verse is saying. If you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he will lift you up. Notice also what the verse says about the person that has a, a prideful, self-sufficient heart. How many of you are familiar with the characters on Sesame Street? I love the characters on Sesame Street, and one of them is the Count, and I love his accent. But he often says this, I can do it alone. Well, that's what a proud person says, I can do it alone. And this verse says, God opposes the person who says, I can do it alone. God opposes the proud, but what does he give to the person who says, I can't do it alone? He gives his grace and church, if we, if we want God to transform our lives, we have to learn how to stay humble. For some of us, how to become humble. Because consider this, some of you this morning may be struggling in your marriage. You started out as, as soulmates, but the truth is today you're roommates. And maybe you feel like you're growing further and further apart. And the question is, what do you do about that? And here's the answer. You come to God and say, God, I need your help. I do not have the patience to make this marriage work. I don't have the power to make this marriage work. I don't, God, right now, I don't have the desire to make this marriage work, so I'm coming to you because I need your help, God. I need you. Or maybe you're somebody this morning who's struggling with an addiction. Maybe you know somebody struggling with an addiction. What do you do? What do you do when it feels like you take one step forward and three steps back and you're on this roller coaster and you never seem to win? Here's what you do. You come to God and say, God, I can't do this anymore. God, I need you. I was thinking about the, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. The first step, some of you know this, is to say that we admitted to ourselves that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And the second step says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That power that's greater than ourselves is who? It's God Almighty. And we access that power through faith in Jesus Christ. But where does it begin? With this humility of saying, God, I need you. And why is it that humble people 
make a difference with their lives. And here's the answer. When you're honest with God and you say, God, I am not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not brave enough to do this, God runs to meet you. And because God is living in you, because he is with you, because he is for you, he enables you to make a profound difference with your life. So how do you make your life count? The first thing is to do what? Start what? Say it together. Start serving. The second thing is to stay humble. And here is number three. Stop worrying. If you really want to make your life count, you need to stop worrying. Learn how to deal with your anxiety. And this is what Peter says. Cast how much of your anxiety on him, on God? Yeah, all of it. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Listen to this story. There was a woman who for many years couldn't sleep at night because she was worried that her home might be burglarized. One night her husband heard a noise in the house, so he went downstairs to investigate. When he got there, he found a burglar. The burglar talked to the husband, and the husband said, would you do me a favor? Would you come upstairs and meet my wife? She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. Take a look at that verse again. Cast all your anxiety on God. Why? What, what is the reason given there? Because he cares for you. Now, I know in, in talking with, with many of you over the years that, that worry is something that you're just always trying to overcome. And I really believe that this is where it starts, believing that God really does care about you and that God is in control of everything that happens in your life. And think about this, if you're always worried, it's hard to move forward, isn't it? Because you can be paralyzed by fear. If you want to make your life count, you have to learn how to trust God and move forward in faith. And let me say this, Here, here's two good reasons not to worry. Number one, it doesn't accomplish anything. Somebody said that worry's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. You just go back and forth and back and forth. You know, Jesus himself said this, who of you by worrying can add even one hour to your life? And here's another reason not to worry. It's destructive. It's toxic physically and emotionally and spiritually. And so what does God say? Cast how much of your anxiety on him? All of it. Don't worry about anything. But church, realize this. We have a spiritual enemy who wants us to worry about what? Everything. Everything. And that's why Peter goes on and gives us another principle we're making a difference with our lives, making our lives count. And the principle is this, stay alert. Alert to what? Well, Peter tells us. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. After the first service, somebody was talking to me as they left and they said, you know, that, that devil is a really intimidating lion. And I said, yes, he is, but I know a lion who's bigger and stronger called a lion of judah if you ever seen any of the chronicles of narnia you know his name is aslan jesus christ is stronger than our enemy the devil and so peter goes on and he says stand firm against him and be strong in faith remember remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are now when peter wrote this there was great persecution against the church but is there persecution in the world today absolutely is taking place all over the world. And, and let me just say this. Essentially, there are two different ways we can live. 
We can live in fear or we can live in faith. Now, which way does God want us to live? What's God's way? Yeah, faith. Trust me. What is our enemy's way? To live in what? To live in fear. And our enemy, this roaring lion, has some pretty significant tools that he uses against us. The first is doubt. And we see that in the opening pages of the Bible where Satan tempts Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God. Does he tempt us to doubt the goodness of God? Yes, he does. And listen, when life is hard, when you pray and pray and God doesn't seem to answer, when you're suffering and people you love are suffering, sometimes we doubt the goodness and the grace and even the sovereignty of God. Chuck Colson said this one time, He said, despair is a sin because it denies the sovereignty of God. Satan wants us to doubt that there's a God who really cares about us, a God who's really in control. And here's what happens when we give in to doubt. There's something that often follows it, and that something is discouragement. Now, church, right now, as I look at what God is doing here with our church family, there are so many reasons to be encouraged. And I want you to know that. Um, One of the things that has encouraged me so much is that God recently has brought some new staff members. I am so thankful for Pastor Phil Letizia and his family, for for Jenny and for Oliver and Jane. I'm so thankful for our our new youth director, John Ainley. I'm really thankful for this new building that we have and all the ministry that's taking place. I'm thankful that tomorrow, tomorrow morning, these little two and three-year-olds are going to be coming to the preschool here. God is giving us all these opportunities to make a difference, however... Every time we try to build something for the kingdom of God, we have an enemy who's trying to tear it down. Every time we make plans to serve God and to reach lost people with hope, we have an enemy who opposes those plans. And listen, that's why Peter says, stay alert. Be on the lookout. So here's my question. What are we supposed to look out for? We're supposed to look out for how Satan works. He uses doubt that doubt often turns to discouragement. And here's the reality. If you're, if you're married this morning, you'll really relate to this. What happens if a husband and a wife both get discouraged at the same time? That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, what happens in a church if the whole church staff gets discouraged at the same time? The leadership team, the church body. It's really hard. It's really challenging. And so if we're on the lookout, if, if, I, if I hear that you're discouraged. And this happened to me this morning. I got out of the car. It was like 7.45 this morning. A person walked across the parking lot to to me and Chris and said, and she just burst into tears and started telling us what was going on in her life. And she was so discouraged. So we stopped and we prayed with her to what? Encourage her. So listen, church, I want to encourage you. Be on the lookout for people in your family. Be on the lookout for people in our church family who need a word of encouragement and give that to them and pray with them. But there's another tool that Satan has, not just doubt and not just discouragement, but division. Because when we doubt God's goodness and God's grace and God's sovereignty, and when we start getting discouraged, often there's division in our relationships. And listen, this is nothing new. Satan's been doing this for thousands of years, divide and conquer. He does that in marriages and families and and offices, and schools, and in church families. But here's what the Bible says. We are not ignorant of his schemes. We can fight back, and we can win. How? When we choose to live whose way? God's way. And so church, what we need to do is is what we just talked about, what Peter says. Keep humbly serving one another. Be quick to forgive each other. 
pray with and for one another. I was sharing with first service that I wanted to share something with you and I wasn't sure if I should um, or not and then in praying this morning, God reminded me that the Apostle Paul often would ask people to pray for him. And so as your pastor, I know that many of you pray for me, but I want to ask you to pray for me. During the last couple of months, I've experienced some really significant spiritual attacks from the enemy. And I'm not surprised by that. Whenever we're trying to really serve God and move the kingdom forward, we will face those kinds of attacks. Some of you right now have that happening in your lives as well. And that's why we need to pray for each other. And I was sharing with my wife, Chris, that I, I've never experienced the intensity of attack that I have recently. And I was thinking about an experience I had when I was a kid. I played Little League Baseball. And I had a coach who really made an impression on me. And what would happen when I was a kid, if I struck out, if I made an error in the field, I would really get down and discouraged. In fact, if my teammates made an error, I would get down and discouraged because we were going to lose. And so I would be, you know, shuffling back to the dugout like this with my shoulders hunched over and my head down. And I can, to this day, hear my coach yelling from the dugout, hey, Hodges, get your head up. And what would I do? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, game's not over. Well, church, this week, as I was working on this message, I heard another voice. It wasn't shouting. It was a whisper. And it was Jesus saying, Dudley, get your head up. I'm with you. I love you. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christians, we are that church that Jesus Christ is building. We are the people of God. And you've heard me say this before. before. The local church is the hope of the world because of its message and because of its people. That's us. And so this morning, I want to, I want to ask you a question. In fact, this is a question that applies to every single person in this room. You may be a Christian this morning, a follower of Jesus. You may have questions about what it means to be a Christian. But this answer impacts every one of us. Now, here's the question. How does believing the gospel enable us to make our lives count? How does believing the gospel enable us to make our lives count? Now, of course, you have to define your terms. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news about who? Good news about Jesus Christ. Now, the story in the Bible is that there is good news because there was first bad news. And the bad news is that God made us to love him and trust him and to know him, but we decided to go our own way. And in the Bible, there's an animal that's used to describe the tendencies of human beings. Do you know what animal that is? Does anybody know? Sheep. Yeah, that's right. Not bad. Okay. All right. Now, you got, some of you guys know about sheep, right? Sheep are stubborn, and sheep are dumb, and, and sheep are virtually defenseless. They don't have any claws or big teeth, right? And here's something else about sheep. If you have a dog or a cat, how many of you have a pet dog or cat? 
You know, if they wander away from home, they can often find their way back because they have this homing instinct. There are some really great stories about that, traveling hundreds of miles. Did you know that if a sheep is lost, it has no homing instinct whatsoever? It will die unless somebody comes and finds it and brings it home. And what about this? Um, if sheep are kind of walking toward a cliff and one of them goes over the edge, what will happen with the rest? Yeah. yeah you would think that there'd be one bright sheep who would say, hey, hey, Dolly disappeared over the edge. Maybe we should stop and think about this. They never do that. They blindly just right over the edge. Think about it. Isn't that a description of humanity? You know, God says, I love you. Here's how I want you to live. Oh, it's okay, God. We're going to go our own way. And what happens? Bam, right over the edge of the cliff we go. The Bible says that we are like sheep. We've wandered away from God. And because of our sin, because that's what disobedience to God is called in the Bible, because of our sin, we're separated from a, a holy God. And think about that word sin. What letter's in the middle? I, what I want, what I like. I was working on the message, looking at my iPad. iPod, calling people on my iPhone, listening to iTunes. We live in an I culture don't we and God says you know what you get on that road this self-centered prideful egotistical road you will end up in destruction but I want to rescue you I want to reorient your life and that's why Jesus comes because we can't save ourselves see the reality is that God is holy and God is just which means he's got to punish every sin we've ever committed and what is that punishment to die and to be separated from God forever but God those are those are two of my favorite words in the Bible but God but God steps into our situation. But God sends Jesus Christ. Because God, who exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, he's one God who exists in three persons. God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus, to our world. And Jesus does what we could never do. He lives a perfect life. And because of his great love, because he wants to rescue us and restore our relationship with the Father, he goes to a cross, and he dies the death that we deserve, and God puts our sin on Jesus and punishes him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve is poured out on Jesus. He dies, but then what happens three days later? And he comes back to life, and he says, you want a new life? You come and follow me. You want a new life? Admit that you're a dumb sheep, and that you've wandered away, that you've sinned. Admit that you need a savior. Choose to follow me. And friends, when we do that, we get a new life, a brand new life. Now, that brings us back to the question, how does believing that gospel story enable us to live a life that counts? And here's the answer. Because the gospel is true, and it is, because the gospel is true, you have a new record. Now, think about that. Your past is settled. There is nothing that changes you to the past. You can live without guilt or regret or, sh or, or shame or fear, but that's not just true of you, it's true of us collectively because we are God's people. And that really leads to this next thing. Because of the gospel, we have a new record, but we also have a new identity. The Bible says if anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. But that's true of every single believer in our church family. We are the people of God. Peter says that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. He called us, God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might declare to a, a lost and dying world, there's a God who loves you. There is hope. There's a future. That's who we are. That's our identity. And related to that, 
is this. Because of the gospel, we have a new record, a new identity, and we have a new potential. When you become a Christian, Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, lives inside you, and you can do things that you never thought possible. We talked about overcoming addictions. We talked about God healing marriages. We can't do that in our own strength, but God can. I've seen him do it time and time again. Church, listen. The scripture says this about us. It says that God can do more than we can ask or imagine because of his mighty power working in us, his church. And so here's my challenge to all of us. And I believe this is a very timely challenge because of what's happening in our world, what's happening in our nation. And it's simply this. There is opposition against the church of Jesus Christ right now in the world. We have brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in incredible ways. But I believe that down the road, the American church is going to face a new kind of persecution. We are being opposed by the kingdom of darkness. And some of you right now are discouraged. Some of you are wrestling with doubt. There may be division in your home. Church, listen to me. We have got to be smarter than our enemy. And we have got to fight back by living God's way. So I want to encourage you to do this. Are you ready? Let's keep reaching out together. Let's keep worshiping Sunday after Sunday together. Let's keep praying together. Let's keep learning together. Let's keep serving together so that together, by God's grace, we can make our lives count for Christ and for his kingdom. Let's pray. God, today... We are thankful for your truth that changes us, that changes everything. God, we are so thankful that you've called us to carry out the mission of Jesus in our generation, and we want to do that faithfully. God, right here in our community, we see these, these homes. Lord, I walk through my neighborhood. I, I, I was up on top of the church the other day just looking at all the rooftops, in these surrounding communities, God, there are families and, and people who don't know the hope of Jesus Christ. And we do. So God, give us a passion, Lord. Give us the desire and the ability to share that hope with them. God, as we face opposition in our culture to the values and principles of your word, give us courage and conviction. God, help us to never compromise your word. Help us to engage people, but do it with gentleness and respect. God, today... I think about the fact that you called us to this place. And Lord, some of us today are really struggling. We've got doubts. Lord, we've got discouragements. Lord, sometimes there's some really significant divisions in families and even within our own hearts. So would you come, God? And would you help us fight back? Would you give us the victory because Jesus is the victor? And Lord, for the person today who's never surrendered their life, their heart to Jesus, I pray that right here, right now, they would feel that tug of your Holy Spirit on their heart and that they would just respond by telling you in their own way that they're sorry for their sin. They know they're a sheep who's wandered away. They want to trust Jesus and believe what he's done for them and surrender their life to his leadership. God, you always hear that prayer because you were faithful. And God, today, as we end this service, I pray this, that as we walk out these doors, the praise would not end. God, worship is not an event, it's a way of life.
And as we sing this last song, God, I pray that it would be an opportunity for us to reaffirm that you are the one who breaks the chains of the past and gives us a hope and a future. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.